I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the pulling it out of the bag in the last minute of the podcast. If you can't get smart, get lucky. And I'm joined by the Pat Bamford glorious return of the podcast, Josh Hobbs. Now to listen to Josh claim that he called a need shot from a corner all along. And finally, the unchanged injury list of the podcast, operating on a one-in, one-out policy. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. I think I'm more in than out today, which is a, which is a big advance on where I've been previously. I, uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I sort of enjoyed the game yesterday. Um, I don't know if enjoyed is quite the right word. I enjoyed the moment after Pat Bamford equalised and I got to jump up and down and sing the Pat Bamford song and do a little dance. That That was good fun. Other than that, it was a bit hard work as I'm sure we will come to discuss in some depth throughout the rest of this podcast but I'm, I'm good thanks how are you doing John? Yeah I'm I'm all good um yeah it was a I don't know it was a funny game wasn't it, it wasn't the, the the most interesting game I think from a tactical point of view but we'll um we will go on to talk about that uh Josh Hobbs you were lucky enough to not have to watch it live so you were able to watch it with the benefit of hindsight how did you enjoy your watch back? Yeah it was weird because I think I was sort of obviously spared from the tension of like feeling like the seasons unraveling in in front of in front of my eyes and thinking oh my god if we lose this then we then we just we're going into maybe we might lose five in a row and like that whole thing that i i definitely would have spun out in that way um so knowing all along like it's fine we're gonna score in the last minute (laughs) that that helped me to um to see the game uh, perhaps a little less critically than I would have done. Um, but then maybe it's a false representation because the whole time I'm going, it's fine because it doesn't matter that we've, James <laughs> has just crossed that 50 yards above and beyond all of our players because it's in about 10 minutes' time we're going to score. Well, let's do the game summary. Let's not delay the inevitable too much further. We're obviously talking about 2 2 draw against Brentford at Elland Road. Um, there was no real surprises in terms of structure. Brentford stuck with their 3-5-2 and that means that we matched them with a 3-5-2 of our own. We were lucky to have Luke Ailing back so we saw him at the right centre-back position um, and I think it's 
always good when he's playing in the back line of a of a back three. So, um, and we will talk about that more in the rest of this podcast. But then we had Dallas and Junior uh, slotting in at wing backs on either side. Seems to be some confusion online about who was playing up front, but. It seemed to me, anyway, that Dan James played alongside Rafinha and Tyler Roberts was in the central midfield slot ahead of Forshaw and Phillips, who were up against Brentford's two eights. Um, so, yeah, it all seemed to make sense. The most interesting tactical feature of the first half was probably the response to Cooper's injury, which says a lot about the game. Bielsa seemed in two minds about how to solve that problem. He considered Charlie Cresswell for a little while and Mateus Click before settling on Jack Harrison at left wing back and then just pushing Junior back into the left centre back space but for the goal in the first half neither side really created anything in the way of decent chances Uh, Brentford were fairly happy to cede possession to Leeds dropping back into a lower block but looking to counter and putting Leeds under pressure when they turned the ball over high up the pitch if they did that Uh, in the second half Brentford obviously scored two goals in quick succession for the first there was a defensive breakdown in the right back area and uh, this was a moment when Calvin Phillips was clearly injured whether or not that played into it we can discuss in a little while for the second one Brentford counterpressed and scored from the resulting breakdown in Leeds man marking I'm looking forward to hearing Josh talk about the Leeds man marking system <laughs> at least someone is <laughs> being one of the biggest fans of the of the system uh, and then from here Brentford were pretty happy to see possession again and look to run the game out and they seemed fairly comfortable until they gave away that late corner that Pat Bamford scored from so that summarizes my um take on the game we're lucky enough at this point to have uh, a piece of audio from David Anderson who talks a little bit about the game from his perspective so this is David Anderson who I interviewed for the preview podcast hello all stats aren't we David here from Bees Tactical so Bamford comes on and rescues a point for Leeds with the last kick of the game and it's excruciatingly two points dropped for Brentford and Leeds are pretty relieved in the big scheme of the game and the balance of play and chances created a draw felt a fair result The big story ahead of the game was Tony missing out through a positive COVID test, but secretly, while he is a great asset in terms of his size, like hold-up play, his work rate and galvanising the team as a focal point, he's quite slow across the turf and doesn't really change direction quickly. And because of this, it can become quite easy to pinpoint where we're going to launch attacks from or through. So secretly or not so secretly, I wanted to see us play with two narrow forwards to support Tony's lack of pace and give us a bit more fluidity in the forward line. And it was quite refreshing to see Canos move into a central forward role, giving him the license to come short and run in behind and bring some of his intense pressures to the centre of the pitch. He was rewarded with a great goal from an untracked run soon after Calvin Phillips left the field and that proved how much this is just absolutely a game of weak links. Forshaw was almost single-handedly asked to block that central space in front of the back line and unlike any other period in the match, we got good possession right on the edge of your box. Junior Furpo was dragged inside and caught out watching a player and confused where to go and then we flicked the ball through for Canos to get a clear shot on goal. Yeah, we've seen glimpses of quality in transitional moments this season from us, often doing the hard work, but a lot of our attacking game falls down at the feet of Mbomo. Similarly with you and uh, Dan James, I think the amount of touches these players have and the amount of good ball they see compared to decent output, it can be a bit of a painful watch at times, but a huge talking for Brentford is this lack of options or outlets, but I think we're fine with this. I think we just don't possess the quality to pull off exactly what we're trying to do. But yeah, back to the big narrative of Tony, who is yeah a monster player for us, especially from defensive set pieces, and not quite as much as um, shots or box play as much as some might assume. But he's continuously making goal-saving blocks on the line, huge defensive work rate, and off-the-ball pressures, and etc. But take him out of the team, 
team and we probably defend that last corner worse than we would have done if he was playing. The front post zone where the flick on came from for the equaliser is his defensive area. So I'm kind of left debating on our channel whether we come to Ellen Road and score two goals with Tony playing. Probably not. But do we concede two goals? Probably not again. So we could have been looking at a tighter game of one nil either way, which might have switched in our favour. Leeds were good in parts, especially Rafinha's persistence to deliver in dangerous balls. I think the willingness to continue until the death and find an equaliser was probably helped by, by like how deep we sat defending the lead late on and, and how wasteful we were on the counter through Wisser and Mbomo especially. But yeah, in summaries, I think injuries positively and negatively defined and um, exposed weak links. But I can't help but fall back on how that would have been a huge defeat for you especially with us playing Watford next and then that points gap we could have had between us and the bottom three. I think we'll both be too strong but I do worry about how much less of the ball we're seeing since coming up and that obviously is down to us playing much better opposition consistently which I think in turn puts far more scrutiny on what you're doing with the ball when you do have it and then the added pressure of making the most out of those possessions. We've just got this regular feeling of flying on the seat of our pants and I suppose I've just got to get used to this after all these years of being one of the best two or three teams in the championship in terms of on the ball possession and how good you look. But yeah, best of luck for the rest of the season and hopefully we're both well safe by the time um, the rematch comes around. Catch you next time. See ya. So David Anderson there talking interestingly about Ivan Tony saying suggesting that well the line that he used was would Brentford have scored two goals with Ivan Tony in the team probably not but would they have conceded two goals with Ivan Tony in the team probably not so I don't know what either of you two make of that line um, because I think a lot of Leeds fans were quite positive that Ivan Tony wasn't playing so Josh what what's your take on Tony not being available for this game I think one thing that it maybe did for us is it it maybe threw us off what their formation was at the start because when I watched it, I felt that Roberts actually started more as a striker and James started on the left wing and we w- we looked a bit more like we were expecting them to be 3-4-3 three, three, re- rather than 3-5-2. Uh, um, but then Canos was actually more of a striker, I think. Um, so that, that made their two. Um and then that's when you saw that we did then sort of shift Roberts back a little bit and, and James um, up to be a striker with Rafinha. Um, I don't know whether I would say that I, like, I, I feel they, they might have scored two in a different way, perhaps. Like, I don't, I don't know that Tony makes that run that, uh, that Canos made, made, but then equally I would have been more concerned about um Tony's physicality I'd put on Twitter earlier on in the day like I I think Tony will win a penalty off off uh, Cooper or or Llorente because he's just smart in that way um I think he would engage them physically and one of them would grab him and pull him to the floor and that that would be a penalty so I I don't know it, it's always hard to sort of speculate on the hypotheticals but I I find it hard to think that they wouldn't have been more dangerous with Tony than than they were in the same way that I think maybe we would have been better with Bamford playing the whole time like particularly in that period in the first half where I think there was a few crosses that Roberts put in where I just felt like what we need someone there and there's there's not someone there I'm inclined to agree with Hobbs I mean obviously David watches Brentford every week so he's got kind of got you know a kind of more refined impression of how Brentford play and and some of the problems that they've got than than we've got but but I I for one was glad that that Tony was out because I think his hold up play would have caused us problems I think he can be quite smart in the way that he lays the ball off he's good at bringing runners into play Um, and I think that 
that with the man marking system being as it is, um, somebody who's able to hold the ball up and then find a smart pass or or a, or a decent layoff is is always like liable to cause us uh, some problems. So yeah, I was I was I was pleased to see him out and and yeah, I I wouldn't want to speculate on what the differences to the game might have been had he been there, but but I was definitely glad that he wasn't there. Well, let's jump into the interrogation. This is the part of the show where I ask the two guys their takes on, on the game. I've got five questions here. The first one is, Darren, a point gained or two points dropped? How are you viewing this one? I don't, I don't really know. Um, I didn't go into the game necessarily expecting that, that, we, were, that we were going to uh, win easily in the way that a lot of fans um, did because... You know, Brentford have just been promoted, and and I think sometimes we've got a tendency to overlook teams who we think are lower on the natural pecking order, irrespective of what the relative merits of the two teams and the form and and all the rest of that are. Um, I I was yeah, I think in 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 the final analysis, I think I would say that it's definitely a point gain because at ninety three minutes, I was in an absolutely foul mood and ready to go, ready to you know, kind of. Um, go home and kick off uh, on Twitter and all the rest of it. I mean, and 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 the goal didn't necessarily change my overall view of the game. I still think it was a poor performance overall. Um, but but I was obviously would rather take a, a draw than a defeat. But I do I do think I've been thinking about this this morning that in terms of the results, I think draws are really killing this season in a way that that we've never really had before because we've we've had. Very, very few draws under Bielsa previously with either with either with either won or lost. And um obviously you gather points at a much quicker rate if you're able to to have victories. And one of the things that we think about all the time on this podcast is whether leads are getting what they deserve. Um and at the moment I think we are getting what we deserve, which is a lot of draws and a lot of stodgy matches because we're not able to do the things as well as we've been able to do in previous seasons. And I think it's it's really sort of killing my enjoyment of the season. The number of times I'm walking away thinking, well that's just a point and a point's really, you know, neither here nor there. Um so yeah, a, a point a point gained, but not necessarily one that I'm over the moon or delighted with, uh, to use some nice cliches. Two points dropped, I think. Like I yeah, it's it's true that um yeah, well once we're up against it two one down and it's late on and you're you're thinking, God, I'd just take anything now. Um so in that sense we've re- we rescued a point, but from being one nil up against Brentford who really weren't offering a real threat at all they scored with the, their first threatening moment really um I, I have to see that as 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 two points dropped because I think I felt before the game that a win was would be hugely important for our season that Brentford um although I wasn't um I don't think I was sort of writing them off as terrible I also think they they are not as good as they were made out to be at the start of the season um and they've been poor for a for a while now um they weren't even good when they beat everton the other week um but yeah i think to just see us not be able to control a lead anymore that's something that's so frustrating to me at, at the moment and so i i think it it doesn't look like the older iterations of bielsa's leads where if you're in a if we were in a 1-0 lead teams would be scared of us at 1-0 because if they have to attack us to try and get back in the game but also they know that we can kill them like in transitional attacks just doesn't even look like we can do that anymore that's something that I find really frustrating um and yeah I I, on that uh, point about 
um, drawing a lot. Um, it's really important to remember that Fulham drew an absolute ton of games uh, last season and they obviously went down with a fairly significant gap to 18th and that that's because they couldn't they couldn't convert draws in into wins and um we've already drawn like two more games than we drew in the entirety of last season so i'd rather see us i'd rather see us lose like it's obviously this is obviously really simple but in a three game run it's obviously better to lose two and win one than it is to lose one and draw two like we, i would just rather see <laughs> just see us win some some games for goodness sake i don't care if it costs us like losing some more although i didn't say that when we lost to west ham i was going i'd oh, take the point take the point so i'm i'm losing my own head <laughs> as <laughs> as everything goes on yeah and i think the the two points dropped is brought into stark view when you consider that the next four games are going to be tough as well. I think when you consider being 1-0 up in a game that looked like it was heading in your direction and then throwing away the two points, then you look down the barrel of, of, of three of the best teams in world football coming coming up all the way from home as well. Exactly. So that that's why I think it's, it's all the more frustrating for that reason because you think if you go into that run knowing that you're nine points clear of, of the bottom three, like that's... That well, not eight, not nine points. We would have been eight points clear, I think. Like that, that would have been um, that would be huge. And then you think, well, you know, if we if we manage to get a point here, a point there, but it's very possible that when we come out with the next four with with no points, and that's um, that could put us in a very vulnerable position. But the teams below us are hardly racking up the points either. No, they're not. That's... They're not. But it, it's still scary, isn't it? Yeah, no, of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. I think the thing that worries me about the the bottom three is is that there's no one who's just completely adrift. So you've got three teams down there, all on the same number of points, and that means that all you need is you you must raise the the probability of that happening. Like if one of those teams does have a, an okay run, I know that they're all playing quite badly, but if one of them does, then it pulls it sort of reels everyone else back in and there's three teams there who could do that so it just raises the probability that that, that's happening yeah and nobody else really has a run of fixtures as difficult as us yeah apart i mean newcastle actually do funnily enough like they're the they're the team that probably have the second hardest run after us so that's good but there's also obviously norwich and burnley and that they they seem to just be sort of scuttling along in terms of points Question two is, why do you think there's so much confusion around the setup? But I think you've already answered that, Josh, uh, suggesting that it, it it may have looked as though Brentford were going to come out as a 3-4-3 and, and Leeds tweak things around. But I, I think that was only for the first five minutes or so. I also think from my experience, watch. so I was following the game on Twitter in the car um, and I think what was going on social media from from journalists was unhelpful because I think that... I think that they misread what was happening and then what they said became gospel of what was actually happening. But when I watched it back, it was obvious what was happening. That when Harrison came on, he looked confused for a moment, but he basically had no time to even get any tactical instructions. So he was just rushed onto the pitch. He like he had to get, he didn't even look like he'd warmed up. <laughs> like He just literally had to like get his, get his training kit off chuck his boots on run onto the pitch kind of thing and then he was looking to the side like what's happening but once he was on i didn't feel like he didn't know what he was doing 
I felt the only time there was real confusion was around the time that they scored and then that 10-minute period after. I sort of broke this question down into two parts, really, because I think there's... There's the question of whether the team were confused and I think there may have been moments where I don't think they were confused but there was a disorganisation that was caused by what was happening. Um, I think the team came onto the pitch knowing who their man-marking assignments were and they they, they, they did that and that's what dictated the shape in the end. Um, I think, yeah, I think Hobbs is right that in the fan base there are, there is a lot of kind of nonsense that's put out and about. Um, I mean, not least by the official club channel who consistently put out a four-two-three-one graphic, <laughs> irrespective of what what the, the team were playing is or whatever. Yeah, Dallas as attacking midfielder yesterday. Well, exactly, yeah, exactly. So even even the the club's official channel don't seem to have any idea how the team sets up um, against opposition, and I think it does. I think it does cause some unhelpful confusion confusion uh, among the fan base I would just add to that that I think the reason why Harrison looked so confused when he came on was because it was for a set piece and so he went to his man marking responsibility in open play and I think he was just a bit worried that he was supposed to be marking someone else um, for for set pieces and he didn't know who that was going to be because that's what they cover in the tactical instructions they say you're coming on here this is your marking responsibility and for set pieces mark this player so I'm sure they told him go and mark Ruslev who was his wing back uh, but then he, he got on the pitch and was like, am I marking the right person here? I don't know. It's a free kick happening and I don't want to be blamed for, for getting it wrong. Um, so that's kind of how I would explain that. Um, question three, Darren, what went wrong at the beginning of the second half? Um, I think Brentford managed the game pretty well and I think that they came out in the first 15 minutes of each half with with slightly more attacking intent, with with a slight, uh, you know, not not they weren't kind of absolutely... Um, throwing caution to the wind or anything but I think they were trying to see in the first 15 minutes of each half what they could get out of the game Um, and then I think obviously Phillips injury didn't help uh, because it was in fact Phillips man that ended up scoring uh, the the equaliser although I think I don't necessarily put that down to to his injury because I think he just got sucked into the ball like everybody else and and left the gap in the middle Um, I, I just think primarily it was a case of Brentford coming out, pushing a little bit more and a slight sort of, com- yeah, maybe maybe not confusion, but more like the team was a bit unsettled by the changes and, and it just probably hadn't quite clicked into place yet. But primarily I think Brentford came out a bit more. I think they counter-pressed us a bit more effectively. I think they, they looked for transitions and got more more players forward. And And the thing that always happens with us is that as soon as something is broken, so Dallas gets beaten for the... Uh, in the corner for the for the equaliser, then there's, then we're counter pressed for the second one, and that kind of sends the man marking into disarray. So they just took advantage of two two situations, which puts them put them in a really fortuitous position, um, and yeah, left us yeah you know um, then with with a kind of mountain to climb in the sense that that they were always then just going to sit in as deep as they could and just try and get to the end of the game without conceding and that that you know is 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 what happened in the end so uh, yeah I think they just came out a bit more strongly is is the is the answer really yeah the only thing I would maybe quibble is uh, I thought that Phillips's man was Vitaly Yanel rather than it- in Baptiste. the first half, he was definitely picking up Baptiste for, okay. for at least part of it. He may have changed for the they second half. They switched it a bit, didn't they, I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you see in that moment, because I disagree a little bit with Darren in terms of about it not being about the injury, because I think he's like he's like ambling back. He's miles away, um, and he just doesn't look like he's got any movement at all. But I think whether it's Phillips' 
player who ends up scoring, I think it what it means is that Robertson for sure are having to deal with three potential threats and for sure runs across to the man who's nearest to um Henry who pulls the ball back and then that leaves a gap uh and back uh, Baptiste is able to run onto the ball and Roberts is is uh, the wrong side of him. Roberts isn't goal side, so he can't get there. And I just think w- the fact is Phillips is not there, so we're a player down. It, whether it's Phillips' man or not, we're a player down because of it. But it does always just... One, I think it's the injury, and two, I think it's what always happens when just one person beats a man. And once... Um, once Henry beats Dallas and not just Dallas, Ailing happens to be there as well. We've tried to pin him there with two men and we still couldn't do it. That Then we're absolutely knackered. And um, what's your take on the second goal? I find that one really difficult. Originally, I thought it was, I thought it was Junior's fault. Like, I think it's his fault for turning the ball over um, because he, he, he sort of just seems to run into traffic. Um, but then... He's sort of chasing back and he's always slow chasing back in those moments. So first of all, I thought that's that's basically his man. Um, but I think when the ball gets played into Canos the first time outside the area, Ailing runs out to try and stop that. But Canos, does, he just plays a first touch pass. So he's moved it on before Ailing can even get close to him. And then Canos bursts into the box. Ailing can't follow him. And Canos has made like a blindside run on Llorente. Firpo then goes back out to the ball, but he doesn't really get out to it. So it's a bit of a weak attempt to stop the pass. And Llorente just doesn't even seem to know that Canos is there. So I think there's about three different mistakes that happen there. But it happens. It's just it's what happens when we lose the ball in those situations. We are just we just are a shambles once it comes to that because no one knows who who their man is it only takes a couple of off ball runs and we're completely done yeah this is the problem with man marking is is it's all well and good when everyone's got their man marking responsibility but as soon as you get to certain situations it becomes a judge a value judgment is is the ball in a more dangerous position than the person that I'm marking and then so what you just end up everyone getting drawn towards the ball which is fine if players are, if teams are being direct but there's always the possibility that the ball just then comes out and you've got no one marking anyone um outside of the the ball oriented like system that we have so um it does feel very much at the moment that like Bielsa ball is a game of dice and we're just sort of rolling dice by going we we go forward and we'll occasionally create big chances for ourselves and um, but that will sort of presage us offering big chances to the opponent, and it's it, you're just sort of like you're just sort of gambling on on us scoring our chances and the opponents not scoring theirs. Well, the trade-off for that used to be that we used to make a lot of chances, yeah, and <laughs> um, and now we don't, so that, that risk becomes much higher. Yeah. To follow on from this question four, I've got six of the nine games we've picked up points in this season have been clinched by set piece goals. Are we too reliant on set pieces rather than open play creation, Josh? We yeah. I think I think we we certainly have been and I think I think partly that's been that we don't have the like we don't have the individuals um and it, because the system's basically gone down and there's only really one genuinely creative individual uh in Rafinha I think there's also Rodrigo but Rodrigo is um he's in and out of the team in the last few games which is uh, which is interesting um, I think maybe Bielsa finally is going. Oh, I I don't 
wanting him to break my system anymore because it's not bringing enough um, in terms of the positive side of things. Um, yeah, well, I, it, it's hard to say much more other than that. Yes, I do think we are, but maybe I'd. Um, I would take it further to be, are we too reliant on set pieces and be like, are we just too reliant on Rafinha? He is the taker of our set pieces. He is the one that can put in a, a cross like he did for Roberts. Um, we had a couple of other crosses with no one in the box. And what else did we have yesterday? Nothing. I think we definitely are too reliant on Rafinha. In terms of the set pieces, I, I, it's interesting because I think in previous seasons we've we've offered very little threat from from set pieces and i don't necessarily think that i don't necessarily think that we've improved although we have scored a few goals from set pieces this season uh, albeit a couple of those have been penalties um so I, i'm really interested to kind of think about this because if if we're suddenly not yeah if we go if we kind of regress to where we've been previously in terms of creating chances or, or goals from set pieces and we're not able to create anything from open play either then we're really really in trouble so I think we are too reliant on set pieces at the moment but I'm grateful that they are currently going in because I think we've been in real trouble without them yeah and I don't even think that we're particularly good at set pieces uh, at least I mean we've had a couple of Rafinha free kicks that have just crept in at the back post from from crosses and um, yeah like we've scored a couple of, of corners but they've they've sort of been well I mean I guess there was one sort of bobbling around the box came off an opponent and the game yesterday sort of came off came off ailing and fortunately Bamford was at the back post to prod it in it's not like we're playing smart set piece routines and, and getting away with it we're, we're sort of flying on the seat of our pants it's just his individual quality of delivery that's that's it I think like the the free kick that just went straight in like I think that's a cross that's just so so dangerous in the way that he strikes the ball that Schmeichel uh couldn't react to it um and then yeah the the one for the penalty the other day and and the one for the goal uh yesterday those are just really really good crosses and that's the technique that he's got the way he strikes the ball he generates real whip and real pace on it and that that makes it difficult but yeah we're not we're definitely not like a smart team with our routines or anything Okay, question five then. A lot of people have been pointing to the return of Bamford and Ailing as the catalyst to turn the season around. Darren, what did you make of their respective returns? You go with Ailing and Josh can go with Bamford because Josh likes talking about Bamford. He does, he does. <laughs> and, and I'm very happy to let to let Josh do that. Um, <laughs> defensively, I thought Ailing was all right, but then Brentford didn't really sort of... It wasn't a game in which a centre-half was going to be really thoroughly tested apart from in, in, in individual moments and I thought he managed most of them pretty well. Um, I thought he was okay in possession but I also thought he gave a lot of sloppy ball away and, and that, he, that he tried to hit a lot of longer passes that perhaps weren't really on or where, where there was a better option on and then it becomes a bit of a 50-50 gamble and probably if you, if if the target of those long balls is Dan James when he's up against... Pontus Janssen or whoever who you know then it's 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 much less than a 50-50 ball because Dan James is never ever ever going to win a header against any of Brentford's back three um, and he's just going to be physically moved out of the way while they while they take the ball off him which has happened repeatedly yesterday or he's just going to run offside you know and and which which was another thing that happened a lot yesterday so I thought some of Aileen's pass selection was 
was a bit off. But I think given that he's been out for 11 weeks and he's come back into the first team with only 45 minutes of, of um, under-23s football, I'm, I'm prepared to kind of say, well, that's just how it goes when, when somebody hasn't played for almost three months. Um, but it did look like a bit of a continuation of the way that he started the season. So I'm hopeful that, that what it, what that means is that at the start of the season he was struggling with this knee injury and now he's a bit rusty and he'll need to play himself back in. Um and that's the optimistic reading of it, and and I am I I do accept that, but um, but I I think yeah I'm, I am glad to see him back because one of the things that he always does is he's constantly organising the back three in a way that I don't think other people do. He's quite quite vocal and verbal in the way that he that he uh, operates, and I I really value seeing players do that. Um, so yeah, I think he was I think he was okay, and I think I'm but. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I guess the worrying thing for me is that we've had a couple of okay performances. One from him, also Junior Furpo, okay-ish mm. performance. But we're we're going to run the gauntlet a little bit in the next few games. So I think that's that's really where we're going to see where these players are up to, right? Yeah, 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 for sure, definitely. And and you know, that Junior playing at, at the left centre back role, I don't think that's going to be his. That's not his best role, is it? And again, I think he was relatively untested, apart from in the moments of the. For the goals, um, so yeah, uh, it, w- w- it will be interesting to see how he does when he's up against, you know, Reese James or whoever in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, God. he says crying into his tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Josh on Bamford, what's your take? Difficult return for him in a lot of ways. <laughs> we didn't even really get get the ball into a position where he could really have an impact. Um, Rafinha was spamming it from the halfway line. Um, which you're you're never gonna. I'll I'll talk about that in a minute. But you're never gonna get um, Bamford really big chances on that unless unless their defense is not set and you can get him in behind, um, which their defense was pretty much always set. Um, and we never got into a position high up where we can then cross it like Roberts did in that first half. Um, and yeah, but but when it came to that corner. He's just standing where he needs to be stood as a, as a goal scorer, and I I think um, too often this season we've we've had players playing in that position that aren't standing in the right position when when the ball is is coming in. Um, so that does make me feel optimistic, even though it's a like he's needed in from five yards out or whatever. Um, but let's all remember that. We managed to knee it over the bar from about two yards out just a couple of weeks ago. Um, so <laughs> I'll take that goal because we didn't get that other one. Um, so we, yeah, I want to say that that he, him being there enough of the time will will make the difference for us in the end. I think that's something we've been hugely missing in this run is an actual number nine. And I do think we will be more creative where we actually have someone in the box to get shots away, someone in the box to get on the end of crosses. I still think it's not going to be pretty and, and like fix the system. I, I'm of the opinion that it won't be fixed, but I do think it will be better. And I hope that that makes, I don't know if that turns the season around. I think it just probably m- makes us okay but I don't think it makes us good. Do we think that Bamford is still carrying an injury? Um, because he ran he ran the length of the pitch and fell over. <laughs> I don't think he was carrying an injury. I think he was not sharp. And I think he said it himself after the, after the game, I think in the interview, I think he said, like, I didn't 
I didn't really contribute very much. I was I was finding it difficult. Uh, I I need time to get sharper. So I, I actually won't. Obviously, he's got a week now. Um, but I also, at the same time, wouldn't be that surprised if he didn't start the next game either. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Enough of me and my questions. Time for you guys and your questions. So time for the bring our topic section. We'll kick off with Darren, what do you want to talk about? Hobbsy sort of touched on this uh, a little bit already in true Hobbsy fashion. Um, <laughs> Stealing our takes, surely not. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, given that this was a game where Rodrigo could have had some impact and where his his deficiencies in pressing may not have been as quite as important as they are sometimes. I was surprised to see him uh, on the bench rather than somewhere in the attacking unit, whether that be as one of the front two or as uh, playing in Tyler Roberts' position. So I guess what I wanted to get a sense of from, from you guys was, were, was whether you think this was a tactical decision, whether it was a reflection on his previous performances so far this season, or whether it was a reward for Tyler Roberts' increased impact on games over the last few weeks. I think Roberts had earned his way in. Um I think I would say that Roberts over the last three games, I mean, I'd probably say he's the best player for, for Leeds over the last three games. He gave us an actual threat against Brighton where we, when we'd had none. I felt that he played really well against Palace, even though he, he sort of started really well first half, then then sort of was out of the game for a bit. And then second half, he like, I th- I felt he kept our momentum going by dropping in to receive the ball, turning taking it forwards um and then yesterday obviously he get he gets his goal uh, i thought he linked play really well he just had that one moment where there was a bit of a misunderstanding with him and james and he roberts thought james was going to run down the wing and just passed it there even though james <laughs> did not run down the wing um but i think i think he's played well and i think he deserved to go in but i also think we might have seen rodrigo come on yesterday if it wasn't for the fact that we had to make two injury subs, um, I mean, maybe he could have come on for Click, but I don't. If we'd brought on Rodrigo uh, for, sorry, instead of Click, not for Click, but if we'd brought on Rodrigo for Phillips and then had a midfield three of of um, for sure Roberts and Rodrigo, that's that's very much vibes, isn't it? So <laughs> I, I think I think it had to be Click in that moment. I think tactically the thinking was that we were going to be playing um, with with Roberts as a forward um, at first and I think and potentially as the sort of lone forward and so I think that's probably why we went with him to start with um, although I, 
uh, that said, we have played any number of players in that forward slot recently. We've played Harrison, we've played James, we've played, I guess, Rodrigo at times as well. Um, so maybe that isn't as convincing a, a tactical reason as, as it may sound in my head. Um, but yeah, obviously he started in, in that midfield area and then was pushed forward from there. So I think it probably had something to do with that, the idea that um, he wanted to have a solid midfield um, and then... Yeah, I guess bring bring on Rodrigo should the need arise, um, but then it didn't happen that way, and so that probably upset the plans a little bit. But again, that's just speculative from from me. What's your take, Darren? Yeah, I, th- I think I, I think I'm inclined to agree with with Hobbsy that just at the moment, I think Roberts has just overtaken him in 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 terms of his his increased impact on on games, his his improved performances. He kind of looks much more at it, and that that. You know, for all that Rodrigo shows in moments of individual quality, which I think are probably beyond um, beyond Roberts, um, I, I think that Roberts' baseline consistency of performance over the last few games has been better, and and his and his involvement in games has been better than that of that that of Rodrigo over the season so far. So that's probably where I think it is. I also think that Roberts has been dropping in, picking up, and carrying the ball quite well recently. And I think Rodrigo this season has like dropped off a cliff a little bit in terms of picking up the ball with back to go on something we've talked about before I'm sure but um, I think Roberts at the moment is is maybe a little bit more press resistant in that respect and is, is keeping possession in a way that Rodrigo isn't so whether or not that comes into it I don't know Josh what did you want to talk about I've put this on Twitter but um, yeah just trying to figure out why Bielsa didn't just take off James to bring on Bamford because he instead of doing that which is the the obvious like for like in that moment in this in the sense that James was playing as a striker we then moved so we took off Junior moved Dallas to left centre back moved uh, kept James up front and moved Rafinha to right wing back and I I didn't understand why we do why we did that because we moved our most dangerous player further away from the opposition goal and. Uh, my question is: What was he trying to get Rafinha to basically be a Pablo-like player in that moment of like, let's get him on the ball in deeper areas where he can, where he can create something uh, and and make something happen? Um, I don't really get that because I think it, that's not uh, Rafinha's skill set. So Hernandez would you would want him doing that because he can kill the opponent with like high volumes of passing. And yes, he'll go for some direct moments, but also he'll be sort of surgical. Like he'll make lots of short passes. He'll move to get the ball again and he'll probe and he'll probe and eventually a gap will open up. Whereas Rafinha is more likely to either dribble from deep or bang it from halfway, which is what he was doing. Um, I don't know if you guys are, sort of agree with that was what he was hoping to happen or not this one also broke my brain a bit yesterday I was trying to work out what was going on um and I think I think Rafinha was actually sh- to a degree was struggling to get into the game in in the kind of um in more advanced areas because I think Brentford were really trying to crowd him out um and and successfully doing that by and large although obviously he did create the first goal I I, I do think that when he was picking the ball up on on our right wing, that they were getting two and three players around him and really limiting his ability to to create anything from there. So I I suspect that that you're right that it was probably um, it was probably a move to try and get him more involved in the game than he had been previously. Um, but yeah, 
Bielsa seems really reluctant to take Dan James off the pitch at any time at the moment, and and I do I do struggle with that um, because I do struggle with with what I'm, I struggle to see really what Dan James brings to the team um, beyond the ability to run quickly, um, and which he which he undoubtedly can do. Um, and I, I to me, it would have made more sense in the moment to put to to either do what you suggested, Hobbsy, just do the like for like, or to to put to put um, James to right wing back if you wanted to make that that substitution. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I do think it's an interesting one. I don't think I don't think it particularly worked, um, but I, but I, I suspect it was probably just to try and get him more involved in the game. I've just written a piece for our newsletter this month about the way that man, opposition managers have dealt with the Rafinha problem. Um, and the, by the Rafinha problem, I mean that Rafinha is the most dangerous player that Leeds have, and you've got to try and keep him as far away from your goal as possible as as a as a manager. And um, obviously, this season we've seen Bielsa playing Rafinha as a striker or an outside forward just to keep him nearer the the goal to reduce his defensive responsibilities, etc. Um, and on the basis of that, I think that's why we saw. Um, Graham Potter move from um, a three-five-two system to a four-two-three-one system because even though they've not played that system really at all this season, he was happier doing that than allowing Rafinha to be near the goal. Um, interestingly, though, in that game with Rafinha tracking uh, Mark Kukurea, um, who's obviously like a, a pretty advancing fullback, he likes to get forward. We created some of our better opportunities from Rafinha progressing the ball from a deep sort of right back area. Um, there was one, I think there was one moment where we got the ball forward and I think in the end Dallas had a had a shot from distance, but it was one of the better um, progressive moments that we had. And I just wonder whether or not Bielsa was just thinking back to something like that and thinking, well, as Darren said, I think Pinnock and, and Henry between them pretty much shut down Rafinha on the, on, on the right-hand side. Um, why not try him a little bit deeper, see if he can help progress the ball forward quicker and try and get in behind their, um, their low block? Because I think Brentford were coming they were they weren't just low blocking and, and and hanging on for dear life they were trying to get forward they were trying to counter attack uh, and then they were counter pressing when they lost the ball in high areas and I think maybe Bielsa was just kind of thinking if we have Rafinha a little bit deeper he might be able to get the ball forward quickly so that we can find James in behind um, and I think in hindsight it doesn't look very good because it didn't really transpire that way but I, I do think that was probably the the thinking behind it I don't know what you think of uh, what Darren and I have said I still think I'd I'd want to have him high up the pitch as as much as possible even if maybe with it was the thought of well it's not working there so I'll move I'm try to move him back away from them um I would probably say the equalizer came in spite of that happening rather than because of that happening though um but I I just think even if he's out of the game for quite a long period of time which he was like against Burnley you still get that moment where he takes on Charlie Taylor and he gets into the box and we and we get the goal from it. I kind of feel like teams are, are are taking one of two ways of trying to shut us down. So they either try to shut down our build up from the back effectively, or they try and stop Rafinha playing in advanced areas. And I, I think broadly, I think that's how teams are defending against us this season so far. And I think Brentford, by and large, decided to do the second one yesterday, and I think that that was quite effective. Well, let's move on to listener questions. I, I realise we've taken a long time to talk about a, a game where not a lot happened, so uh, <laughs> let's try and fly through these a little bit. But um, question one from Tewksbury White asked before 
the capitulation. He said, have we become a open brackets, fairly closed brackets, good home team and an open brackets, closed brackets, fairly awful away team? Darren, what do you make of that? I just think we're an average we're an average team, no matter what pitch we play on at the moment. Um, and and I, I just really can't say any more than that to that question, I'm afraid. I, I don't see much evidence that we're, that, you know, we might have got a, got a result against Palace the other night and we were winning against Brentford yesterday. But I don't think that um, that our performances at home are especially different or better than the ones that we're putting in away from home. Yeah, I I've, I can't add to that really. Just I think we're a bit meh in in either way. I think if you look at the the last home fixtures, so we've had Brentford, Crystal Palace, Leicester, Wolves, Watford. They're the last few home fixtures. I think that's probably artificially inflating our opinion of our home form potentially. I think we're just a, a, a sort of we're an average team, and we've we've just had a, a fairly nice run of fixtures at home, uh, and we're about to have a horrible, horrible run of fixtures away. So uh, I'm sure that won't help the narratives uh, at all. Uh, Joshua Annis Brown says it just sort of t- touches on the the conversation we've just had. So Rafinha right wing back, Harrison left wing back, Filippo taken off to make those changes. Just nonsense today. Uh, shifts every player positions at least once when Cresswell on and Cooper off is fine. Is Bielsa doing too much? That's my question. Just tinkering how Palace was the antithesis to it. So yeah, we've talked about this a, a little bit in recent weeks actually. Um, just the some of the, the the crazy moves that Bielsa's making. Is he trying too hard, Josh? I think so. Funnily enough, I I don't have an issue with the uh, with the earlier thing. Harrison left wing back is fine. Junior left centre-back was okay as well. And I guess maybe it was because of not having another left footer. I, d- I don't know if it was one of you guys that said that already in, in a group chat or or if I saw that on Twitter. But I think someone pointed that out and I, it made it makes makes sense to me. As much as I, I want to see Cresswell play more, um, I'm, I've actually come to be like, that was fine, that change. Um, it's the other change that I didn't like, which I've already talked about. Um, but I do think in general, yes, like we are rather than just bringing on someone in the position that they're most comfortable with in like for like changes, we're nearly always just bringing on the next player in the Bielsa pecking order and then and then shifting everyone around. It's like he has his like, I will pick from these 14 players ranked in order. And then if all of those are not there, then I might use some of the other ones rather than, oh, this is the right player to fix this problem, uh, which I don't understand. And I guess even just seeing the fact that we went, we cycled between Creswell, Click, and then Harrison before that substitution was made suggests that he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, he he didn't know what he was doing in that moment. I agree with everything that's been said, but I also do think that we need to be careful that we don't drift into a bit of outcome bias here because um, there have been plenty of times in the past when Bielsa's made substitutions which absolutely left us scratching our head that have turned out in the moment to be absolutely the right one. I'm thinking about the times when he's brought Alioski on to play as an eight. I'm thinking about the time when he brought Strauch on to play as the defensive midfielder against Barnsley. You know, there have been there have been loads and loads and loads of occasions, haven't there, where we've gone, oh, that's really mad, what's he doing? And then it's it's absolutely worked perfectly. And that is true, but also it does, like... It it doesn't seem to be having the same effect this season. Sure, but that's it yeah. seems to be breaking things more often than it's fixing things. But I, you are right. 
because I I remember at the time, like I think I tweeted when he brought on Strauch against Barnsley. I was like, Bielsa's literally like he's lost his mind in this game. So I remember seeing Ailing like go mad at the bench, like what is going on? Because everyone's moving around so much. But that fixed it. But then again, in in the previous seasons, he's also made changes that didn't work. So I I don't know. I my my sense is that yeah, he is. Making cha- making too many changes or changes that aren't quite logical, or is even starting with with team lineups that don't feel like like they're kind of um, completely completely logical. But but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one to to, to answer really. I think comparing those two sort of scenarios like when it was happening previously it wasn't ever the case that we were sort of struggling to find form it was we were playing a game and something wasn't working and Bielsa sort of identified some way of potentially fixing it Mm. whereas at the moment it feels as though he's he's not trying to just fix a little thing and try and sort out a single game it feels as though he's he's thinking the solution to this has to be tactical in some way Mm. so he's trying increasingly and more frequent wild switches of of of, yeah. of tack just to try and sort things out yeah so that that leads me to think john because you just said that the bielsa's that the, the answer must be tactical in some way and i think that that you would ordinarily come to a conclusion that the answer is tactical in some way which suggests to me that you think the problem is different from tactics here i i do think that there is an issue tactically here but as we've talked before like the it, it's hard to draw a strict binary between players and tactics of course yeah we're going to talk a little bit about Rafinha and like there's a, there's questions about whether or not Rafinha breaks the system a little bit and I think there's probably a truth in that but at the same time it's worth saying that because of the man marking system we're so dependent on opposition structure that I feel like with other coaches you have the capacity to change things up way more than Bielsa does and it feels as though the only real changes he can make to his system is just by moving personnel around rather than being like we'll do okay we, we talk about various little things we talk about Rafinha playing as an outside forward we talk about Dallas playing as a, a maybe a slightly more zonal centre midfielder but beyond that there's not a huge amount of scope to do a lot of tweaks and so I think it ends up him just playing around with different players in different positions and it just ends up looking a bit bats at times but Let's move on because I think I could talk about this all day long. Friend of the podcast, El Barker, with a question, which I think is interesting. I've mentioned this already, but curious as to what your opinion is on Rafinha's performance. Did a lot of individually impressive things, particularly the cross for the first goal, but it feels like he was kind of getting in the way of the system in the final third. I'll throw this one over to you, Josh, because I've I've talked already about how Rafinha sometimes seems to do things that don't benefit the system, but at the same time, he is our easily our most important player at the moment. So we're sort of caught caught in this bind between the system and the individual. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much I think that he doesn't do things within the system. Um, maybe it's different. Like maybe in the final third, he does sort of. He's a bit more individual, but I think you there's moments where you see him in the like when he receives the ball in the midfield third around halfway line, he participates in those like quick passing interchanges really well that help us progress the ball up that flank and in the little rotations that happen there. Um, but yeah, around the box, perhaps he well. He is more individual. And I think Bielsa has even said himself, when you have a player like that, you want to sort of let them do what what they can do. Um, and I think of Guardiola a little bit here because he, he's gone on record before, like several times being like, my system is about getting the ball up the pitch to those players. 
I tell them what positions to start in to receive the ball. But then once they have it, it's, it's them to go and make something happen. Um, and I think Rafinha thrives in that kind of thing. Whereas you look to like the other side with James or Harrison, and I wish they were like him, to, <laughs> to be honest, because uh, you see them and they look and think, oh, I could cross it here. But and if they can't cross it, maybe James thinks, well, I'll push it onto my right and see if I can have a shot. And that normally goes into the shins of the player two yards in front of him. And then it's like, what, there's nothing else. So maybe Rafinha, it doesn't do the same things that Costa did, which were maybe good for the system. But I don't think we can find a person that wishes we had Costa playing in that position instead of Rafinha. And I know that's not what the question was, but... No, I think it, I think it's, it does add something. But interestingly enough, what we've seen Rafinha's impact coming from has been from a lot this season has been from set pieces or crosses. And the get the, the cross yesterday for the goal was from the opposite side to the side we usually see him on. And I wonder whether or not you think that if we were to have Rafinha on that left hand side spamming those crosses in, whether or not we would look a lot more dangerous um, than we do when he's on the right. And I, I know that on the right he can't, cuts inside and has found the bottom corner from the edge of the box a lot this season as well so it's worth not um, necessarily um, forgetting that but I do also think that we've not been creating from wide areas at all this season and I think that's partly because Harrison's dropped off a bit of a cliff creatively and I don't think Dan James is very good at it so I wonder whether or not you think you could maybe use Rafinha in a way that we got more out of him in in the system as well as um, in the in the in those dangerous ways the way it's sort of like outside of the system yeah maybe I I think um if that was the case, I I think I think I'd rather have Somerville on the right than the other two, because Somerville is actually really good on the right and good at he he likes to go round the outside and get get to the byline and stuff. That would that would be interesting. But I think Har- neither Harrison nor James do that very well on the right. Even though James is right footed, I think he he's best at going down the line on the left. Um, even though he doesn't do that enough for me either. It's an interesting one because obviously Rafinha is our best player and our most important player and we, he needs to be in the team all the time. I think I think in previous seasons, Bielsa's system has operated in a kind of death by a thousand cuts sort of way, so we'll keep trying the same thing until it works. Um, and I think Rafinha tends to just go for the, for the knockout blow more often than not and it comes off often enough for it for it to be to be value for it to be valuable but I I, you know I don't necessarily think that the system is the most important thing in his in his thinking when he receives the ball in the final third whereas I think for some players they'd be going okay where's that run that I'm expecting to see is it happening um and 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 all that kind of thing so um I I I, you know I I I think I find Rafinha more frustrating than anybody else uh, does in in the also maybe, well, maybe I don't but but I certainly find him frustrating frustrating often enough because of the the way that he he can you know he immediately goes for the big boomer and he, and and all the rest of it but then I, I I do acknowledge that without him this season we've been real real serious uh, difficulty so um I th- you know Bielsa's system needs an improviser in it. Uh, need it needs a lead guitarist and he that's what that's what he does and sometimes he goes off into his own world and um and and you know <laughs> goes into some weird modular shit uh but <laughs> but then there are other times when 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 what he does is is absolutely the perfect thing for the moment so i think that's you've got to take a bit of the rough and the smooth with a play like him i guess is what i'm driving towards 
We are well past the hour mark, so I'm going to skip skip the stat banter section because uh, I think we were going to have a good long argument about stuff that no one else would have found interesting apart from maybe us. Um, so maybe you've been saved by that. But uh, we have Chelsea coming up next week. Um, we will be doing a full preview on our Patreon channel. I will be talking to Orlando from the Chelsea Spot podcast later today to get the lowdown from him about where Chelsea are at. But needless to say, Chelsea are quite good at the moment um, and have been for a while. Um, thoughts from you two about the Chelsea game coming up, Darren? I'm just not really, not really looking forward to it. <laughs> I think, I think, I think we might get a bit of a chase, and and uh, I think, I think out of the out of the run of fixtures that we've got, I think maybe. For some reason, Chelsea scare me the most because I think they might be. I think they they have a kind of efficiency to them, which means that they might not even need to necessarily play well to give us a bit of a humping. And uh, so that's it's a bit it's a bit of a bit of a worrying bit of a worrying one uh, for me. Uh, I hope their fans don't make that stupid bird noise that they made last year to <laughs> Diego Llorente. Well, maybe I hope they do. I don't know. It might liven things up a bit. Yeah, Josh, how about you? Yeah, I. I mean, maybe I'm like losing my head here. It is a possibility. <laughs> I, I will. I'll give it that. <laughs> Just wondering of whether their more methodical style under Tuchel actually suits us. Just a little bit. I I don't remember us really finding it hard to defend against them uh, at Ellen Road last season. Um, Strauch had to face up against Havertz. Um, obviously now they have Lukaku, but Lukaku sort of doesn't seem to be working brilliantly for them after the the start of the season. I don't think he he likes playing in that sort of slow attacking style um, that they that they have. Um, so there's a little part of me that's like, does the fact that Tuchel doesn't embrace chaos like Lampard did in in that game um, where they just smashed us at, at Stamford Bridge? Um, so I, there's a little part of me that's like, could we just sneak a point here? Um, but then at the same time, they've got they've got quality in in every area of the pitch. So it only takes one of them to come up with a moment, even if we do happen to limit them. So that's as optimistic as I can muster. Yeah. So maybe a draw is what you're saying. <laughs> I I I, mean, I would I would rip your hand off if you offered me a draw right now. If you said nil nil in the most boring game of all time, I'd be like, yes. Yeah, take that. <laughs> so that's what we're going for a nil nil draw next weekend but um that brings us to the end of the podcast i've mentioned our patreon channel if you want to check that out that's www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we i'll be doing a video analysis of something from the brentford game although i haven't decided what yet josh what are you doing this week uh i'm doing uh tyler roberts for the last three performances so just a little bit of what's he shown what like why did he deserve to start and what's he done like in those games nice bit of propaganda uh, that'd be nice yeah I'd, I'd tried that before in the sort of look he honestly he hit the bar against Watford kind of, <laughs> kind of thing but now it's like no but look it's actually happened are you going to answer the question that everyone asks which is if Tyler Roberts is the answer what is the question can you can you can you finally <laughs> comprehensively answer that question for me please who is a better option than Rodrigo ding 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 <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. All there is for me to do is to say thank you, Josh. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. And thank you, you lot, for making it through another marathon episode with your favourite podcasters. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.